Support for WAER Original Podcasts comes from California Closets of Syracuse, located in DeWitt. California Closets can help you get your entire home organized with custom design storage solutions for the home office, kitchen pantry, closets, and more. Online at californiaclosets.com. Rock and roll is an interesting genre. It runs the gamut from ACDC to Warren Zevon and from Chuck Berry to Yaz. The number and variety of subgenres under the rock and roll umbrella is staggering. Death metal, skiffle, new wave, alternative, ska, emo, psychedelic, goth, glam, grunge, garage, groovy, and the list goes on. Still, in the words of the great Billy Joel, everybody's talking about the new sound. Funny, but it's still rock and roll to me. And despite numerous predictions that rock is dead, innovative bands are popping up all across the country, crafting new sounds from the genre's long history. I'm Kendall Phillips, and here on Pop Life, we are continuing our exploration of rock and roll for Rocktober. And what better way than to have one of the hottest up-and-coming bands in the country, Goon. The LA Times describes Goon as expansive psychedelic punk and calls them one of LA's most exciting acts. Their new album, Hour of Green Evening, has been hailed for its emotional complexity by Pitchfork, and Paste Magazine likens their songs to a serenade for summer evenings or taking mushrooms and tripping out. We have with us today Kenny Becker, vocalist and songwriter, Tamara Simmons on bass, Andy Polito on drums, Dylan Peralta on guitar. Goon, welcome to Pop Life. Hey, thanks for having us. What up, Pop Life? Hey. Hey, yo. So excited to have you. So excited to have all of you. As I was saying to them before the the show got going, having uh, four people on a Zoom screen is uh, kind of my COVID nightmare, but I'm thrilled to have you, and they're, they're fabulous folks. So I do want to start with, you know, kind of asking you to go back to your kind of musical roots. And so I'm curious, just as a starting point for each of you, like what's the first album you either remember buying or you remember like being your album, like that moment when you're like, yeah, this music is speaking to me like this is my thing. Out of curiosity, Dylan, let's start with you. Dylan, do you remember like the album you bought that you were like, yeah, that's my thing? Not necessarily, because I was kind of all over the place, but um, I do remember my first album I bought was Bob Marley and the Whalers. Nice, nice. Yeah, Tamara, how about you? What was what was the thing that jumped out and made you want to keep listening? It was Spice Girls Spice. <laughs> I love it. That's fabulous. No, girl power. Like, I totally, I totally get it. I uh, mean, I came out of the womb screaming girl power. I like it. I like it. Uh, Andy, how about you? Uh, I think it was Hello Nasty by Beastie Boys. Wow, nice. It was, uh, intergalactic. It was so silly with the drop. And as a little kid, I loved it. And so I got that. And then the compilation CD that came out like the year before that had all the hits from before. So it was just like immersed in Beastie Boys. That's great. No, great, great band. How, Kenny, finally, how about you? What, what, what was that music that first kind of spoke to your soul? The first CD I bought with my own money was Hybrid Theory by Linkin Park. And then shortly after that, it was New Way to Be Human by Switchfoot. And those were like the two records I listened to nonstop growing up. That is great. Do you think those early musical influences still kind of wind into your music? Like, are you still thinking Spice Girls when you're playing the bass? Or are you still thinking about Linkin Park when you're writing a song? Yeah, I think that like we're so strongly who we are in, in our different kind of ways but I think we have a lot of commonalities musically but like certainly those differences I think create a lot of character in whatever we kind of come together to make like can't avoid that 
So, yeah, that's cool. How about other folks? So, do you feel like that those early influences are still with you, or do you do you have yeah, do you have 100%. guilty pleasures that you look back at and think I loved that, but I won't admit it to people? <laughs> Go ahead. I think we're pretty good at admitting our, our guilty pleasures, especially among van rides. It's just there's a satisfaction that we're always talking about, like that could be probably like in like you know how do you hear that shut up Lincoln Park song, you know, where it's like how do you not be like yes, it's kind of cool. Like how how do you not feel it, you know? Unless you're just hiding it. So we're always kind of chasing that satisfaction, whether it's Spice Girls, Bob Marley, or Beastie Boys, or Switchfoot, Lincoln Park, you name it. Yeah. Great mix. How about other folks? Do you, do you feel like you're still sort of playing your way out of that Bob Marley phase? Uh, maybe not mentally, but <laughs> physically a guitar. I don't really play too much reggae. Um, no, I don't know. It was like one of those first albums I got. And I mean, it, it branched off to other things too. I mean, I got myself in the Lincoln Park and. Um, actually, Norma Jean was a big album I got when I was like 12. And ever since that, I, I never got away from that like heavy, heavy phase. Nice, nice. So Dylan, stay with you for just a quick second. Uh, so when did you first pick up the guitar? When was the moment you said, yeah, I, w- I want to do this? Um, well, it was around my family. Like one of my uh, stepdad was in the picture. He played guitar, but I never really saw myself as a guitar player. But it was when I went to my friend's house. And I think I was probably, uh, yeah, probably about 12, 11, 12. I went to his house and he was playing guitar and I was like, what are you doing, man? And he's like, hey, I was playing guitar and he showed me a pentatonic scale. And ever since that, you know, I never stopped. That's cool. How about you, Tamara? The bass is not necessarily the first instrument most people think to pick up. So when did you first pick up the bass and say, yeah, I, li- I kind of like this? Um, I picked up guitar first. And then for Christmas when I was in high school, my dad, when I was a senior, was like, I got you a bass. It was on sale at Guitar Center. And uh, I was like, thank you so much and then I just kind of like started like playing along like different bass lines and I think it kind of started like almost as like a funny joke to myself where I would play along to like pop song bass lines like Candy by Mandy Moore and then I was like actually I think I want to learn a ton of like Joy Division bass lines because I feel like this is really where it really where it starts uh and then I spent a lot of time learning a lot of Joy Division when I was a freshman in college and uh, and Andy, I, I think most people believe drummers are born, not made. But where did you come out of the womb banging on everything you could find? Yeah, I think there's like a story that where I actually was given like a little kid's kit when I was like a toddler and I just literally thrashed it. I don't know if it was like pent up rage or something, but uh, my dad's also a drummer and I have like other drummers in the family, too. So there was always a kit set up. I wanted to be a guitar player originally, but then my brother picked up guitar and got better than I did quicker, and I could hold down a beat by that by then. So then I think I was like ten when I realized drums are the way to go, because then we could jam together. It, it, it does seem like the guitar is often the first thing, like guitar, and then oh maybe something else. Yeah. So Kenny, I know you're also a, a, an accomplished visual artist. I, I believe you painted the cover uh, for the new album. Which came first for you? Were you a visual artist who got into songwriting? Were you a songwriter who got into visual? Did those kind of come together? I think music music was first for me. I started taking piano lessons when I was a kid. Um, and I'd like come up with little songs, quote unquote. And uh, my mom would like transcribe them. But like I wasn't writing. I was just kind of like noodling around and having fun just like, you know, messing around on piano. But I think that between, you know, my mom and her mom, my grandma, they would always be so supportive about that and just be like, oh, you're so talented, you know, and I'm like, yeah, cool. I'm going to keep doing this, you know, like that kind of thing. 
but um yeah i don't know i got into visual art pretty strongly in high school and i don't know if this is like a like a cliche or whatever but like i feel like i would just kind of like hang out in the art room all the time you know it was kind of a dweeb in high school and like just spent all my time in there the art teacher was like super cool his name's mr opstad shout out mr opstad san diego westview high school but uh yeah yeah there's a music first and then visual art and i just always those became my main passions i guess that is really cool so one other quick question about your sort of musical autobiography i'm always curious what was the first band or act that you really felt like was yours, right? I feel like everybody at some mm. point has that moment when they're like, this is my band. And, and I know for me, it was REM way back, so I'm a lot older than you all. So I remember REM when it was first just like people trading tapes and then later they got really big and became the biggest band in the world. How about for you all? What was that, you know, Tamara, what was the, the, the first act? Was it Spice Girls, the act that you said, like, this is me, this is who I am? It's, it's like hard, because I feel like Spice Girls is kind of like, I feel like such a base of, my whole being but like you know like when i really got into like i guess rock and roll but i wouldn't even call this band rock and roll there's just like a like a side subgenre of it but be like the first time i heard the pixies i the first time i heard surfer rosa i was like holy crap this is like every track from like start to finish is perfect and i remember when i started to explore more of the pixies discography and i heard that song vamos and i heard this like guitar slide that joey does and he just slides back and forth and it wrapped and changed my entire life and i just became fully obsessed with the pixies and i mean i still am to this day and i just feel like that's like the one band that kind of like changed everything for me no i totally feel as a person who was in college when that was coming out that the pixies do not get the credit they deserve i really feel like that was one of the most innovative bands in terms of like what would develop in grunge and everything else, like what they were doing back in that sort of late 80s period was amazing. And even though a lot of people know about the Pixies, I still feel like more people ought to know how influential and important those were. Uh, Andy, how about you? What was the what was the band that kind of stood out for you as being like your, like that was you? I'd say the Damned. When I got really into like, you know, the gateway of punk bands, like the Ramones and the Misfits. And then I think I heard them in a skate video or something. I can't really recall. But I just like latched onto it. It was like the best blend of like horror punk, but also like they didn't take themselves too seriously. Like they'd have like comedy on the records too, and it was just kind of like in like a like a the way like pavement would do kind of later. But just also at the same time, you could also like get in the circle pit to it, but you could also like get really like emo to it. It was just the the perfect mix of everything. I I think they're an immensely underrated, overlooked band and. Uh, I think more people could do themselves justice by listening to at least those like, first three, four records. Absolutely. I'm glad I got you all here to help us educate the young folks on what they need to be. How about you, Kenny? What was the <laughs> what was the musical act that you were first just felt like, this is my band, this is me? Definitely Pinback. Because also, I mean, I briefly mentioned this, I guess, but I'm from San Diego. So I think that's kind of how Switchfoot came to you know my ears pretty easily but pinback is another san diego band and i mean yeah i guess uh continuing this sort of thread of bands that are probably a bit underrated like i i think they're up there with like radiohead in my mind like they're just all-time great um blue screen life and their debut just 
self-titled this is a pinback cd and then summer in abaddon those three records were just like it was just kind of the soundtrack of being like on the bus you know little loner kid just vibing out to my own melancholy like self-indulgent whatever but it was just so good and it was the first music that truly spoke to me you know it's something that i could really like latch on to just like wow this feels like mine no one else's or something you know it is a funny moment, and it probably hit most of us in those teenage years when we did feel that level of alienation in that moment when you look around and think, I'm not, like, no one's like me, no one knows. You just find that music and say, this gets me. Definitely, yeah. So Dylan, how about you? We're talking about uh, the, the bands that you first kind of felt that real serious connection, like, this is me and I get this. What was, what was that act for you? Uh, I, I'm just, like, so all over the map with just, like, different bands that just kind of shaped, I guess, like when I got into like Alice in Chains and stuff like that, I think that's really where it started to shape how I was, I guess. Yeah, that moment when you're like, you hear a sound and maybe it's not even the lyrics, it's just something in that sound, you know, just absolutely speaks to you. And now you all, I don't mean to put pressure on you, but you all are making music that somebody out there in Iowa or maybe Southern California, or maybe upstate New York <laughs> is going to listen to and say, yes, all of my teenage existential angst or summer serenade or tripping on mushrooms, whatever it is the song is meant to be, they're going to feel that connection. So I'm curious, how does a song get developed for Goon? Because I understand, Kenny, you're the kind of chief architect. Is that is that a fair way of saying it? You, yeah. How does a song start for that's you? How it's, that's how it's been going. I think we're kind of jumping a little bit ahead, I guess, but we're we're kind of branching off of that a little more these days, which has been fun, but that's that's probably for the next LP. But yeah, uh, it tends to be like, I'll come with like an idea, a song idea, and we'll spend like, I mean, in the case of this record, we basically spent, maybe you guys can remember better than me or something. It feels like it was like maybe a total of like two or three months of just kind of like, maybe spread out over time. But we would basically just, it was like deep kind of lockdown quarantine time. And we had the ability to just go and rehearse every day, more or less for whenever we felt like it. And and so we would just kind of work through these songs. And then we would take like a big break because it was just like, well, this seems endless, you know, so and then eventually we would get back together and, re- you know, rehearse even more songs. And yeah, and then we like, but it, I guess to answer your question, in the process of that, we would sort of like flesh it out as a band and kind of come up or like, yeah, like figure out aspects of it that might maybe it might not have been quite as exciting or interesting or cohesive if if I had just gone and recorded it by myself. I definitely feel like that's a big aspect of like what came about during those months. Cool. So if you don't mind, let me push even further into this because I'm fascinated. Yeah. I'm not a musician. I have no creative talent at all. I have no talent at all. Um, but I'm fascinated by th- this process. So you come in, Kenny, with when it starts for you, is it a lyric? Is it a melody? Is it what? what is the beginning yeah. of a song? It's usually not always the same, but lyrics are almost always last, actually. I'll have like a couple snippets here and there of like, I like this little line and I just, you know, and then the rest of it's just like a singing melody where I'm just kind of like, you know, like mumbling, but like singing a melody that later will be like, I need, I have this many syllables in this line here and I got to fill it with lyrics. 
but yeah so it's and actually when we were doing this record like the room that we rehearse in is is it's a cool room you know it's a normal kind of rehearsal room where the pa is in there and it's just when everyone's really loud it's you can't really hear what you're singing but it's fine and it works you know but when we were rehearsing and sort of writing and coming up with this record um a lot of it i would actually just like not have a microphone it was completely musical for like the first chunk of it and we were just kind of i would come up with uh chords and we would sort of go off of that and maybe like a little bit of a demo that i maybe had made in like garage band or something but it's interesting i know andy one of his he would mention uh how like how this record is so kind of unique for us because we've never had the option to play any of these songs live before fully fleshing them out in the studio and just like committing to how they are which is somewhat of a you know at least in rock and roll is kind of an unorthodox way of doing it yeah i don't know so i think it does impart a kind of an interesting vibe where it feels like a, a bit of a studio creation or something i don't know yeah was that scary to you andy was it like wait we never got a chance to gig this i don't know how people are going to react to this it was just the four of us in, in, a, in, a, in a room yeah i think in hindsight for sure you know um because you just the one thing about being able to uh, play a song live before you record it is that at that point you've thrown everything including the kitchen sink so to say in regards to composing your parts and now you're displaying them and there's no turning back so i think when you record them you kind of cement them as the songs that they're going to be forever and playing them live in front of people kind of gives you a little bit of a chance to do that you know but luckily it's live it's not uh it's not you know the red light's not going off um so you kind of get that little bit of a of a safety net i guess in that fashion but you know in hindsight so many of our favorite records you know especially ones in the 60s like for example when like uh, you know the beatles you know all those studio records and everything that they did you know they were still a rock band in a room as we saw in that that documentary series you know like ccr putting out four records in a year it's like i don't think they even had time to play all those live before <laughs> they recorded them so um and i think we're just kind of trying to do our part and carrying on the tradition of uh, recorded pop music Absolutely. So so part of the way COVID impact, I feel like we have to have the COVID conversation. Part of the way it clearly impacted things was, you know, there was not that live. There was no popping up and trying a song out or, or, or opening for someone. Was it also harder for you all? I mean, to get together? Was it was it difficult, the writing process, like sort of a period of the quarantine? And also, I guess just being locked down, I would think that would change the creative process. I don't I feel like we sort of established ourselves as our own little pod like yeah right when it first hit i think we kind of were like okay let's just like not see each other for however long but after a little time went by we were like well what if it's just the four of us you know we don't we don't invite anyone else and we'll just so that almost i think enabled us to feel confident in like just being like okay well let's just do this all the time because we don't have anything else to do and this is what we wanted to do anyways, or, you know. It almost feels like, you know, back, back to Andy's point about, you know, like when Brian Wilson kind of uh, goes off and does pet sounds and it's just like, it's him and the musicians and they kind of do this thing and like no one knows if this is going to be the craziest thing ever or the best thing ever. But of course, you know, it clearly does. So I want to shift a little bit towards thinking about Goon in relation to rock in general. I suppose I should ask the question. I probably should ask this first. Is Goon a rock band? 
I mean, do you think of, would you classify yourself as a rock band? Is that the way you think mm. of yourselves? I don't really, I don't know. I like to just think of us as a band, you know what I mean? Like, um, but of course, genres and labels are helpful in describing things and they serve a function. So, you know, it's kind of fun if people ask like, oh, what kind of music do you make? I'm just like rock and roll, you know, but it's, of course, there's more to it than that. And but we certainly are aligning ourselves with that tradition and, um, but yeah. Yeah. Cool. I don't know. Dylan, what do you think? Are, are, are you a rock band? Are you a music group? Are you undefinable? What, 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 what the heck are you goon? I think we are secretly a rock band trying to do more. I like a, co- a covert rock band. Absolutely it. Yeah. We're just, we're just trying to, um, pretend and was like, phase everybody that we're not like, these are not the <laughs> these are not the droids you're looking for this is not the goon you're looking for i like that you can exactly entirely be undercover well certainly it's a, it's a rich lush sound so i'm just kind of pursuing that and back to something kenny was saying about you know sort of being part of this broader musical world i'm wanting to think about where would you what would be the genealogy of goon so we talked about your own personal the records and the bands that you kind of connected to if you're thinking about the influences, if we were making the family tree of Goon and we wanted to trace back a series of bands that you all felt had led to this sound, particularly this new album, which does have, to me at least, a slightly different sound than some of the early earlier work you all mm-hmm. had put out, um, what do you think, who would be in that family tree? Tamara, what about you? What do, what do you? Who do you think belongs in the Goon ancestry? The Goon ancestry? I feel like I'd probably start we're talking about uh, bands or like artists that we think would just sure, sure. band solo artists, whatever musical influences you think are there. In Who's the- our mommy and daddy? <laughs> <laughs> My mom. Uh, no, <laughs> I would probably say immediately Boards of Canada. Absolutely, Boards of Canada is mom and dad in yeah. one. Wow. Yeah. How about other <laughs> folks? Who do you hear when you're? I mean, I certainly say as a listener, and I'm no music critic or, or, or expert in music, I listen to the band and I do feel, and I think I'm probably everybody listens thinks, oh, that kind of reminds me of this and that kind of reminds me of that. Well, I'll say when I joined the band, I think me and Kenny instantly shared the same uh, affection for a lot of 90s indie rock stuff, whether it's like Pavement, Polvo, Sonic Youth, like very dissonant guitars with just very catchy melodies. And I think that Boards of Canada... We all had our Radiohead gateway phase. I think so much of that is just kind of in our DNA. Like we all just share that same kind of bond over music from not just that era, but just any bands that kind of plug away and just go for it. And uh, whether it's, you know, electronic stuff or people with guitars and acoustic drums or free jazz, like we all kind of, we all kind of share the same senses, but sometimes we'll be like playing a song and someone will be will, like, just kind of jump in and say like, that sounds like Alice in Chains. And I'm thinking in my head, like, where are you getting this from? But, you know, hey, to each their own. So I think that's what makes us unique. No, it's that great mix of all these great bands. Uh, other bands, how about Dylan? What about you? Beyond Boards of Canada, and we've got uh, a great list. Radiohead, of course, probably influenced every band playing in these days. How about for you? Is there another band that kind of fits into this genealogy? Sunkill Moon would be like an earlier one, I think. I think like Radiohead would be like the the great 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 grandfather, but like maybe like a cousin would be like Sunkill Moon. But yeah, I, I think Andy pretty much nailed all of them. Um, 
yeah, like Radiohead and Pavement and all that stuff. He pretty much nailed the head. A lot of people tell me that we sound like the Pixies, though. I definitely pick up Pixies. I also have to say, although, you know, this is probably maybe before your time, there was a great British band called the Stone Roses. Oh, yeah, I know the Stone Roses. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When I first heard the, the newest record, I thought, that feels like, you know, obviously not the same, but it feels a lot like some of the Stone Roses, that beautiful lush melody and production and the, and the lyrics and everything. Absolutely fabulous. So kind of my last substantive question for you all, uh, as, as professional musicians, as a very successful band and certainly kind of on the cutting edge and, and really drawing a lot of attention, what do you think is the state of, if we want to call it rock music today? Is, is it healthy? Is it strong? Do you feel like there's a lot of interest or as a lot of people have suggested, you know, is this over? Is it now all hip hop or rap or country or whatever else it might be? How do you feel the state of rock music is for you all today? I think the state of rock music is thriving. Um, you just kind of have to like look for it maybe, or I, I don't know. I mean, it certainly isn't like the the zeitgeist genre or necessarily but also maybe it kind of is i think you know the internet has just blown everything open and you can find whatever weird specific niche music you're into there's you can find exactly the fan base for that um or so i find that very empowering and um yeah there's so many good rock bands today like our friends drag in la d-r-a-a-g they're like phenomenal. We also recently played with our friends in Millie who are doing this amazing kind of emo, like redux type thing. And AZ Power, shout out AZ Power, LA band, phenomenal. Like truly like top tier stuff. Um, so I don't know, does that answer your question? Like maybe Tamara, what do you think? <laughs> I think rock in like its current state has pockets where it thrives and then i think there's a lot of places for it that is kind of just like drying up and i think a lot of that probably has to do with the internet and i think how much access you have and because there's so much access it's a bit harder to get people to come out to shows because i feel like a big thing with like rock music and seeing live music such as like with that drawn all the subgenres is like going out and seeing it and feeling it and being there but with so much access it sometimes can be hard to get people to still have that same drive that once existed in the same way how we all had a drive to go pick up magazines and flip through them at bookstores and magazine stands. But with so much access, it's, you know, it's still hard to find that like key that clicks in. So I feel like, you know, as Kenny mentioned in our local scene, there's so many like wonderful artists that are like really thriving here. But it's also, I think, kind of a, a whole thing with maybe America and the whole scene with America is that one of the biggest things I've ever noticed, I guess, when because I've always like loved this type of genre of music is how different it is in the UK and how different it is like full on in just most Europe and the appreciation for like rock music there versus like America, where I feel like it doesn't, it doesn't feel as much like loved and wanted as I see the way that like Europe treats their bands and like I guess I kind of like really thought about that in this aspect because I love this band called the Danny Warhols. It was oh, yeah. almost the band I was going to mention that was going to be like my big band. And they like the Dannys talk a lot about how, you know, like being loved in the United States is very different versus coming to like Europe and the way you're treated in Europe and the things that like the access you have and like the way people like consume your music. It's just very different. And I'm still trying to unlock kind of 
like how it works here, but it could be capitalism. It could be a lot of things, but I think rock thrives in pockets, but I don't think it thrives overall as like the number one thing that people love here. It does seem to be, again, as a, as a person who's a bit older, uh, it does seem like I don't, as you said, I don't quite know how people find music here. When I was young, you listened to the radio and usually there was a midnight show. Sometimes they would replay John Peel from, from the UK and he would be the one who said, here's the band you've never heard of. And you'd either say, I love that or I don't love that. And then you'd go track them down and you'd go to live shows and there'd be a multiple bands and you'd be like, OK, they weren't so good, but I love that band. And they would expose you to things. And now with the algorithms of our streaming services, I feel like everything I get Spotify suggest is like, I already know that. Like, why are you telling me to listen to the bands like the bands I like? Because then it becomes this vacuum. And maybe that's part of the problem in the U.S. is we're all kind of in this little streaming bubble. The algorithm, I do think it, um, like we we're more likely to click on what's familiar to us. And so, and the algorithm maybe hasn't like necessarily, it's not like they, the algorithm has figured that out. It's just like, we've proven to the machines that that's what we will click on. And so that's why the blogs, for example, that maybe would 10 years ago, take a chance and cover like a smaller artist now ha are forced to cover the bigger artists be because, and you're kind of like, why would you cover that? It's like, well, you have to, because that's what people actually click on. So yeah, it is kind of like a weird, it's weird to discover new music now, but I think it's possible. And you know, there's, you know, TikTok is a good one for, for sure, you know, like. Well, I will say I'm thrilled that I discovered Goon. We're absolutely thrilled to have you here on Pop Life. And now it's time for everyone's favorite segment of Pop Life, the Fast Five. So, Goon, I should tell you this segment involves five questions. I will ask each of you one, and then there'll be one for the whole band. They are either-or questions, and they are, as Dylan pointed out earlier, really unfair questions. So I'm sorry. I'm going <laughs> to make, make this really hard for you. So I'm going to start with Tamara. Tamara, if you, my question for you is if you could go back in time and see – one of the very early performances of one legendary L.A. band, would you choose The Doors or Jane's Addiction? Jane's Addiction. Nice. Okay. Wow. That was, there's no hesitation. Yeah. I like Tamara. <laughs> Tamara, you come back on pop. Most people sit in ham and haw. Tamara's like, that one, boom, I am done. Question sure. number two, uh, I'll go to Dylan. Dylan, which famous venue would you most love to headline? Madison Square Garden or Red Rocks in Colorado? Oh, Red Rocks for sure. I like Goon. Goon is a very decisive band. You you get you get <laughs> special pop life marked for being absolutely the most decisive guest we've ever had on pop life. So question number three, Kenny, it's to you. Now you got to follow through with this streak here. Yeah. Uh, as I understand it, the song Wavy Maze is uh, references the Legend of Zelda. So I have to ask, which Zelda character would you most like to sit down and have a cup of coffee with? Princess Ruto oh. or Princess Zelda? So which princess are you choosing for your coffee clutch? What was the first one? Princess Ruto? Yes. Is that what princess Ruto or Princess Zelda? Oh, man. That is an amazing question. Um, dude, Princess Ruto, honestly. Like, she's kind of a freak. She's cool, you know? We will Zelda's cool, too, but I feel like Ruto would be more fun to talk to. I don't know. <laughs> We will see if we can arrange that for you. Thank you, Caddy. So question number four goes to Andy. And Andy, this is the question literally every drummer gets asked. So sorry, you, you have to have a pat answer for this. Who was the greatest rock and roll drummer of all time? Was it John Bonham of Led Zeppelin or Neil Peart from Rush? John Bonham. 
John Bonham. It's that does seem to be the most popular. Though there are passionate drummers who will go to the mat yeah. asking for. I mean, they're just like two two separate. I mean, Neil Peart kind of hit his peak, I think, in like early '80s. You know, past you know after Bottom had passed away, and he would always do like these like big composition kind of parts. But I think Bottom was more of like a in tune with just the roots of rock and roll, maybe. I don't know. That's a hard one. Yeah. There, there's I'll stop something there before I find any drummers. I know people are <laughs> equally as passionate about both drummers. So they are coming but for I love you. Them both. They are coming I did for say you. bottom. <laughs> John what about Levon Helm? Levon. Okay. We're not expanding the categories. Come on, kid. Okay. You're right. We Sorry. already have enough trouble with this. So finally, question number five Heaven help us. This is for the whole band. Uh, if you all could sit down and chat about music and songwriting with one legendary late rock star, would it be Prince? Or David Bowie? Bowie. David Jeez. Bowie. Definitely. Andy Dillon, we're agreeing with the David Bowie? No, I, I would say Prince. Yeah, I don't know. I think Prince as well because, I mean, have you guys seen the Chappelle show? Prince is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think Prince would be far. I don't know. He's just like, I think I think I would have, a, I don't know. I, I, Bowie seems so, um, he's always in a character mode, you know, depending on which album. So I wouldn't really know like what vibe he's on. But Prince is always Prince. <laughs> Prince is literally always Prince. Well, I, this will at least give you all something to talk about as you're on the tour bus or maybe fight about, or this might be the end of Goon. We might have just split yeah. them up over the Prince David Bowie question. So my final question for you is just a kind of open free-for-all, which is uh, one of the things in pop life we love to ask our guests is not just about what they do, but what they love. So what are you all binging or reading or comic books you're reading or books or movies you've loved, any kind of part of pop culture that's like really your jam these days? How about Tamara? We'll start with you. You're always very decisive. I like Tamara. Oh, uh, I just got the new Jeanette McCurdy uh, memoir on Audible. So I'm going to be starting that really soon. And then I'm always binging uh, Buffy. It's just the best show in the world. And uh, my partner's watching it for the first time. So any excuse to watch Buffy, I'm so game. Absolutely. Vampire slaying is us. <laughs> How about you, Andy? What are you watching, binging, loving these days? Um, well, I'm reading a book called, I think it's called Secret Agenda. It's from like the 80s or I think early 80s. It's about Watergate. And uh, it's just a deeper look into all the people involved and uh, certain people, places and parties involved in it. But most of my energy is spent when it's not on like uh, real life political thriller books or whatever. Uh, I'm a giant pro wrestling fan and uh, I am buzzing off of AEW's All Out from Sunday night. And I'm looking forward to watching AEW Dynamite tonight on TBS. I'm not even getting paid to say that. Nice. Actually, we, just a few months ago, we had an episode <laughs> on the allure, the lure of professional wrestling. So go check out that Pop Life. Great conversation. Uh -huh. So finally, how about you, Dylan? What are you loving in pop culture? What's your What's your jam at the moment? Tons of stuff. But basically, I'm I'm, I'm I just pre-ordered Splatoon three, so I'm kind of waiting to play that on my Switch. Nice. And yeah. No, nothing, nothing too crazy other than just video games. Well, Goon, you all have been amazing. We've loved having you as part of our pop life. I'll remind listeners the new album, Hour of Green Evening, is available wherever records are sold. And I'll also remind all our listeners, if you have comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes, please reach out to us on social media. We are at WAER on both Twitter and Instagram. And as always, rock and roll will never die, and neither will pop life. We will see you all next time.
Thanks for listening to Pop Life, a production of WAER Syracuse Public Media. You can find archived episodes at WAER.org. And don't forget to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen for automatic delivery of new episodes.